Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Schenkelberg. And this is Chris Jackson. And we're talking about when to use Monte Carlo simulation, which is actually a conversation we should actually start with by explaining what Monte Carlo simulation actually is. Well, that was kind of the idea. And yet it came from this concept of it's a it's a great tool yet it's and i i think the question was that we were talking about initially was you're going to do something about how easy it is to do it for an upcoming webinar and i thought yeah it actually is pretty easy the concept takes a little bit to wrap your head around but it's actually pretty cool once you get it and we got computers that can certainly do it. So, yeah. So it begged the question is, well, when would you want to do it? What motivates you to go actually break open your spreadsheet or whatever device and make it happen? Right. And if you, I mean, uh, Monte Carlo simulation, what is it? It's actually a code name that is stuck from the Manhattan Project. When essentially, oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. You didn't know I thought that. it was just no. I didn't know that. I thought it was playing on the statistics and Monte Carlo being a big gambling site or city. No, no. The, the background is off, off the, the name of the physicist escapes me right now. But essentially, he was originally from Europe and he was in the U.S. It's part of from, the Mon- from Monte Carlo. <laughs> Not quite. It wouldn't be very but, secure. <laughs> but as you can imagine, you have a bunch of scientists and statisticians that include Albert Einstein and a few others. Um, some high-level conversations would ha- were happening, or some pretty interesting conversations were happening over the, the lunches and the so-called water cooler um, mm-hmm. dialogues. And one of the problems that was being thought of out loud is um, for the game of solitaire involving cards, how many how many ways can you can you work out how many ways the likelihood of you winning a game of solitaire? Because your ability to win a game of solitaire is based not just on your skill, but it's based on the well how, how the, the cards, cards landed. yeah how the cards right. landed yeah there are some games where you cannot possibly win given the way cards have been dealt mm-hmm. and so no one was able to think of a way of of proving of, of, of finding that number noting that when you have 52 cards the number of conceivable de- uh, de- uh, deals are incomprehensibly high isn't it like 52 expert what's not the exponential sign it's the uh what's the factorial factorial that's what i'm thinking isn't it something like yeah 52 factorial or something like that i don't right. even know if my computer can do that yeah well some software applications cannot calculate a number that high i might even while we're speaking might even jump oh up. yeah google my search bar can it's eight to the times 10 to the 67th power right that's a big which number. is it is a big number and i'm just going to I'm going to put in, uh, see if Excel can come up with it. And no, no, Excel can do it. Eight by 10 to the power of 67, roughly. And so this guy said, you know what? Another approach would be, and because computers are starting to emerge, would be just ask computer to continually um, randomly shuffle cards, see if a particular way that that, that deal landed would allow you to win the game. Right, and the th- theory was that if you did, because computers could generate random numbers. Okay, 
first simulation would involve 52 cards being dealt in, a, in one particular order. Can you win? Yes, no. All right, do it again, do it again. The idea is that, say, after 100, after 1,000, after 10,000, the fraction of car, fraction of, of deals that are winnable would start to collapse around the true fraction. It might be 30% or 50% or 60%, whatever the right number right. is. Yeah. And so you wouldn't have to test all 8 by 10 to the power of 67 um, uh, deals in order to get a reasonable estimate. Well, what are the grad students going to do the rest of the day then? <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a simple and sort of elegant solution that they realized, hey, we're onto something here. And they actually gave a code name to the idea of oh. randomly simulating. And the guy who thought of it, essentially, he said, you know what, let's call it Monte Carlo simulation named after Monte Carlo Casino because his uncle spent a lot of time playing solitaire at Monte Carlo Casino. And so oh. Monte Carlo simulation, that's how it's got its name. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. And that example is actually as good as any to illustrate what Monte Carlo simulation is all about. You get your computer to, to simulate a random process which you're able to model and understand and then say, okay, well, the, the equations I have to solve to work out what the reliability is at 10 years is just so borderline impossible to, to solve, which in some cases they are. You know what? I'll just get my computer. And when I say computer, I mean Microsoft Excel to simulate System after system after system, if I know component one has a reliability curve with Weibull parameter this and scale parameter that, the switching system, my switching, uh, the switch on my switching system, I can model with this probability distribution. And you can essentially get Excel to model or simulate, say, how long it takes for each one of these system components to fail, which then allows you to calculate or simulate system time to failure and you do it over and over and over and over and over again until you have enough simulations to say, well, okay, my best guess at 10-year reliability is 97% or whatever the number is. Right. So one of the ways, one way I describe it is a little bit different. When it's, let's say you're going to create a system and it has three components and each of those components has a distribution of their dimensions. Right, they're going right. to have certain hole sizes and certain hole alignments, or maybe it's just thickness. Let's just use thickness, make it really simple. And there's some distribution over how thick our process actually creates it, and it has some, you know, mean and standard deviation, for example, or whatever distribution describes it. Yeah. And what we're doing is is we're going to randomly pick three components from our various components that we use and their distributions, randomly pick those three, put them together and measure it. How thick is the whole right. thing? And so we're simulating actually building real parts. And so the, right. I think part of the, the way I describe it, the reason I describe it that way is that you really kind of need a reasonable estimate of what those distributions are going into mm -hmm. the system. And sometimes you just don't know and you put a square wave or you put a triangle and you use some rough estimate for it, going back to our previous discussion about engineering judgment, you know, is this peaked at some point or is this unknown, you know, it's, we make a thousand of them and we sort them and we take the middle 10% and that might be a square wave kind of looking thing. But it's part of it is, was what, what is the variation of the inputs that are coming into it? And, and, it, and what I like about Monte Carlo is that 
it doesn't have to be a uniform distrib or a smooth distribution. It could be a histogram. It could be uh, a count, you know, or or what are they? I'm trying to blank on the name of the not continuous distribution. It's a just a discrete distribution. We might have five different locations in the world that our products are used and their temperature ranges are this or their humidity of these different use cases, different customers. That might not be a smooth distribution. It might be discrete. But Monte Carlo can handle that. You can say, well, of these five locations, we have this density of different, you know, people are going to use it in different ways, high use, low use. Well, 10% use it a lot and 80% don't use it a lot. So now I have a distribution. I can put that into a, an equation that says, all right, well, how does that affect the reliability? Right. And a, a, another really simple example is, you know, let's just say you're going to model a two component series system. And, you know, if you're in the know, you know that when it comes to series systems to get the system reliability, you just multiply the component reliabilities. If it's a parallel mm -hmm. system where you only need one component to work, you the system failure probability is a product of the component component failure probabilities. But for a series system, another way of looking at it is your system fails when your first component fails. And well, you can, if you know that your two components in your two component series system have you know, the first one's time to failure is modeled by viable distribution with shape parameter this and scale parameter that. And the second one is modeled by a normal distribution or a log normal distribution with mu, mu parameter this and sigma parameter that. Well, Excel can really easily randomly simulate the time to failure a particular instance of that component, which means that you find the smallest time to failure out of those two components, and that's your system time to failure. So by doing that, you've simulated the time to failure of your system as well. Right. And now you can do it a hundred thousand times if you want. Right. And you computer you can do it pretty quick these days. And now you right. have a whole distribution of time to failures for all kinds of components that you are likely going to put together. Yeah. And a lot of people say, well, how accurate is you, how accurate, how many sim simulations do you need to have for it to be accurate? And the, with computing power these days, you can say, don't worry, you can just simulate. <laughs> Do 10,000 of them and you're fine. Or do 100,000. There is actually a formula for how many to do because computing power didn't always used to be free and easy and plentiful. It was a real question, even for the biggest computers of the day. Right. So folks worked out, well, how many you need to run? Um, and there's, I actually wrote an article on that. How, to, um, how, how many samples do you need to run it for? But um, well, the, 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 One of the challenges is that, for example, if you want to estimate the median time to failure, Oh, easy piece of cake. Well, we well, <laughs> need fewer. You need fewer simulations than you would to estimate, like the uh, time to two percent failures, or you know how yeah. many are going to fail at a specific time. Right, because the the let's let's go high nines. You know, if you want to estimate the the time by which your reliability drops to nine nine point nine 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 percent, well, the problem with that is that you need to what's that one in ten thousand? Is that right? Yeah, you need to run a hundred thousands. You need to, yeah, you can't just run 10,000 simulations because essentially that time is being defined by one data point out of your 10,000. You need to have, if you if you, if you have 10,000 data points, then the median is going to be defined by 500,000, sorry, 5,000 on each side. Um, when it's those really high nines, then it's going to be defined by maybe one or two data points if you only have 10,000. Yeah. You need to increase the sample size. So it's not straightforward. Simple rule of thumb I use is, well, do 10,000, see what the number is, 
and then start again. Bar, which takes another 30 seconds. Right. That. So we're not, well, usually much less than that. And if yeah. you get a hugely different number every time you re rerun it, then you need more samples yeah. or simulations, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there something about the um, uh, central limit theorem that comes into play in this? Uh, can be sometimes, but it's mainly about, um, because essentially a lot, a lot of the time you're, you're trying to estimate, you use you know, the number of things that have failed. Um, and we're usually interested of, in the early tail of that, not the average or the median. Stuff right. Like so yeah. if, if you're, if you're, um, if you're looking at two year warranty reliability, for example, then you simply run these simulations and if you know, 5% of your simulations are less than two years and the other 95% of your simulations are greater than two years and your estimate is, well, warranty reliability is about 95%. But because that's essentially a binomial distribution because you've got two outcomes. You've got one less, one higher. Um, yep. And that, and then if you have, as you know, for binomial distributions, if you have a large number of trials, then the central limit theorem means that the binomial distribution tends towards a bell curve, blah, blah, blah. We may have killed some of our listeners. <laughs> right, no, they just, but you also, <laughs> why just go to yes, no, you have a number and you're comparing that against, you know, does it make last long enough? Why don't you just use the time to failure value itself? So if like the two, two uh, items in series, one failed sooner than the other one, well, one failed at three years and six months. And that was the winner. So we have three years and six months when that system failed. And you keep doing that. Now you can, it doesn't have to be a defined distribution. A lot of times it turns into one, but it, it is what it is. It's that system, depending on how complex it is and how complex all the inputs are. It may be a beautiful Weibel curve or a normal curve, or, or it might be some other phenomena. It might even be bimodal. I've seen that happen a few times where it's, yeah, this failure mechanism in this hot human environment really dominates, but that's only for 15% of our population. And another 15% is in another one where they have a real spike in that fail at a different failure mechanism that is part of our equations. So they can get really complicated, yet the concept itself is pretty straightforward. Now, the real question is when would you want to use it? And I think the easiest one by far is that computer simulated samples are essentially free you know it might take you a couple hours to get it all set up and get the data that you need yet that's you're not going to get a hundred thousand samples in most cases to go run them to failure so free compared to the alternative of having that many samples so sample size constraints is a great place to go to use monte carlo in my mind Another really easy criteria for wanting to use Monte Carlo simulation is when you are faced with an equation which makes you want to vomit. Yeah, <laughs> it has lots of different inputs and they've a lot of variables at play. Right, and so as opposed to trying to solve, you know, um, a second order integral equation, which is for for example a switching system. Classic example: if you are serious about modeling a switching system. You, you need to solve an integral, which is based on the reliability of your first component, the reliability of your um, switching, switching uh, component while it's waiting to be used and the reliability of your switching system component after it's being used and the reliability curve of your standby component while it's waiting to be used and the reliability of your standby component after it started. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a horrible equation. But and that's only two, two things with a switch. Right. It gets exponentially bigger after that real quick. Right, but 
we often want to use a switching system because it makes our system that much more reliable if you can keep your um, your redundant or standby component relatively shielded from the real world while it's not waiting to be used. It's an, actually an awesome part of a reliable system in many cases. But the equation you need to use to genuinely understand the reliability you get is horrific. Yeah. Well, think of a... Um... You have a, a a modeling system, but it's a repairable system. So now you throw in, right. you know, a dozen or so different ways that parts can fail or different subsystems are going to fail and have to be replaced. And the repair times for each of those is its own distribution. And you want to model what's the availability of my system. Well, that depends on what fails and how long it takes to, to fix it. And it's keeping track of, all the ones that haven't failed yet, let's say you have a compressor and a pump and the pump's fine, and it's, but it's older now. You only mm -hmm. replace the compressor, all right? I, that equation starts to get pretty gnarly pretty quick. There's a great example of using Monte Carlo. Well, let's go back to your scenario where, you know, 15% of your components are being used in a tropical environment. The other 85% are being used in a temperate environment. You might have worked out that the tropical environment time to failure is modeled by a bell curve. The temperate environment time to phase modeled by a log normal distribution or something else. And straight away, that sounds complicated. So, how does Monte Carlo simulation work? Well, Monte Carlo simulation can start with by saying, okay, let's randomly select or simulate if this is a tropical versus temperate system. Right. And it's just a say, random okay. number pull from where our customer distribution is. And it's 8515. All right. Pick a number, pick a draw card. Right. And so, Excel can do that really, really easily. It can randomly generate a number between zero and one uniformly distributed. If the number's greater than 85, oh, sorry, it's, uh, it's 0.85. Hot yeah, if it's, it's hot and humid. Yeah. If it's less, it's temperate. Temp cool. Step one. All right. If it's hot and humid, randomly generate a bell curve, normal distribution number, time to failure. If it's not, randomly generate a time to failure based on the log normal distribution with different parameters. Yeah. And, boy, and then all of a sudden, what's the criteria for pass or fail? How long does it need to last? Now you can tell. Right. right. All of a sudden you have, and that might sound really complicated to some of our listeners, but trust us, it's not. Yeah. What's the Excel command, R-A-N-D? And then you specify what kind of distribution and parameters it's pulling from? Well, so the, the trick is to start with a random number generator, which is R&D uh, with two brackets, open bracket, close bracket. There's no inputs. But to tell Excel it's a formula, you have to have brackets. So it's open bracket, no input or argument, close bracket. Yep. And then you have to use the inverse CDF function for a probability distribution, which again, some people are starting to, to die. But again, it's really simple for normal distributions and log normal distributions. All you need to do is know the parameters, have that randomly generated number between zero and one, and Excel does the rest. Yep. For viable distributions, you have to use your own equation to, for the inverse cdf but that's still quite simple it's not Straight, straightforward yeah it's, right it's a closed equation you can actually solve it so it's correct it, kind of based on the natural so logarithm a couple of other things but it's yeah. it's relatively easy and off you go you start simulating times to failure for our for your complex switching system or temperate um tropical uh, systems and create a histogram and well, we touched on a, a handful of ways, you know, why you would want to do it and a bit more about what it is and how you go about doing it. And there's more details, obviously, but it's not, I think the gist is it's a pretty powerful tool and it's pretty straightforward to do. 
I go back to the, that you need to know why would you want to use it? And, and some of it is, like you said, is there's an equation. I'm just going to brute force. This is the way I look at it is I'm going to run 10,000 runs through this and, and see what the results are. And I, I'm not going to solve the equations and, that's one way to go about doing it. And the other one is I actually want to make good decisions about, will this product work with this mix of use conditions, of uh, failure mechanisms, of where do I need to go and make improvements, which would actually make a biggest difference. So if we, we get a really big spike in that hot, humid subgroup that we're sending to, well, do we need a different product there or do we need to change it so that 85% of them are way over designed for hot and humid when they don't need it, but it saves us enough money to make it happen. You can run those simulations over and over again and go, well, what if I reduce that failure mechanism in this subset and it's going to cost me this much money? And then I can say, well, what's the trade-off point? And I can start making engineering uh, you know, priority decisions of what we're going to do in this design or not do in the design so that it works in a, across our, our range of uses or range of environments or, you know, those kind of things. The reason to do it is to actually create information that helps people make decisions is, and one of them is we talked about quite a bit is, is it reliable or is it available in, in our, in our world as an estimate? Yet we often need the information for all kinds of other reasons, for where do we focus for improvements? Where do we focus our marketing? Where do we set expected expectations? Uh, what's our warranty exposure in these different realms of how we're using it? On and on and on. But Monte Carlo can get to that pretty darn quick, knowing just a little bit about Excel. Right. And you haven't even talked about logistics and, and spare parts, uh, oh, yeah. especially I mean, when you have a small number of spare parts, you think you need to, you know, to support your mining operation for a year. Or if you're talking about spare engines or power packs, you know, huge, yeah, hundred thousand dollar piece. <laughs> right, you might need to have two or three or four on deck. And traditional approaches to spare parts modeling all assume Fred's favorite distribution, which is the exponential distribution. Yeah, yeah. Um, where things never wear out, never get never wear in which we know explain uh accounts for pretty much nothing in the world of reliability man probability nothing yeah 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 as, as a system <laughs> there are right. some times where there is a constant hazard rate for parts of a system's life but even those systems where that's that's the truth are, are relatively few in number but if you have to have an engine two or three engines um in storage well, getting the number right is incredibly important. And Monte Carlo simulation can, you, for example, simulate how many engines will actually fail if you know the time to failure distribution of that engine, which you should do if there's lots of them used across the world. Yep. In fact, I do a study where if you use the exponential distribution approach, it tells you you should take at least five engines if you work out that the engine wears out and has a wobble distribution with a shape parameter of about five, then you only need to take three. So that's that tells you that, uh, well, that's an example of how you could save hundreds of thousands of dollars by not taking spare parts you won't need. Yeah. Now, it's there's many, many uses, and it, we're talking about it in the context of reliability and maintenance and so on. But it's it's the tool is used in all kinds of fields, from nuclear research and you know all the way to how many, what's your chance of winning at solitaire, <laughs> kind, of, kind of thing. Um, 
The unfortunate part is I'm quite sure the casinos use this and similar tools to figure out what the odds are. So they still win. Yeah. So it's it's not going to help you cash out at, at uh, Monte Carlo. Um, but the idea is, is that it's a wonderful tool that should be in your toolbox. And it's a great way to go about solving some really what can be very complicated problems. Um, understanding the variability and using it, that to your advantage is the real gist of this thing. And Monte Carlo is one of those many of many tools that when it's a really cool, slick tool to use. And uh, so look forward to Chris's webinar whenever we <laughs> get it on the calendar that talks about in, you know, here's the code, here's how you do it and all that good stuff. So we'll have more fun well, with that. It might be a card actually. I'm, I'm going to do it. It's going to be a webinar. Well, Excel is still a card. Excel is still code. Yeah, but I won't be giving you the code to go do Monte Carlo simulation because there's no such thing. Your situation is going to be different to the examples I go through. It's actually going to be right. just me sharing an Excel screen and saying, hey, this is it. This Check this out. Yeah, yeah, cool. So bring your screensaver, you know, or <laughs> not screensaver, screen capture uh, system. But anyway, yeah. it's coming up. We'll talk about it more in, in more detail. In the meantime, if you got questions about it, let us know. Or other cool tools that you've heard about but haven't explored yet. It's quite possible that uh, one of the hosts on the show has, has got some experience with it and we'd be willing to, to share what they know about it. Or it'd be something for us to go dig into and go learn about. So that's always exciting. So let us know. Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash SOR. And you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us. Uh, Chris and I and the other hosts are available through LinkedIn and our about pages have other contact information for us. So plenty of ways for you to get in touch. Um, no, I, I still remember when I first time I heard about Monte Carlo and I had no idea it was a code name for stuff that's learned something today. I can take the rest of the day off, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty, pretty interesting story. There's a lot of the stories behind statistics and probability concepts are fundamentally boring, but that's got a bit of juice to it. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it's cool. All right, cool. Well, thanks, Chris. And, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Always a pleasure, Fred. So you learned something about Monte Carlo simulation. That's cool. Yeah, I had no idea. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.